Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda a voice in the desert now here's crystal heath all right hey guys happy thursday one and all great to have you with us as we get started here today a lot has been happening on the world stage you are listening to kvxl 101.1 fm experience liberty radio and i am Crystal Heath. So Trump has taken Europe by storm, and <laughs> it's as if no one knows what to do, or where, or how, or when to be excessively outraged. But everyone has an opinion. Everyone has an opinion about what Trump has been doing in Europe, whether it's that he was absolutely brilliant, whether it's that he was absolutely terrible. And then there are even those individuals who are like literally on Monday, yes, well done, brilliant. And Tuesday, uh, about the exact same words, um, once the president said, oh, I probably shouldn't, I, that's not what I meant. They were like, oh, no, that's not what he meant. No, he would have never said that when the day before they were like, that is exactly what he needed to say. So this, 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 um, that is the inconsistency that needs to go away. And I, I talk about this over and over and over again on this program, whether you're a Republican or whether you're a Democrat, no matter who you support in an election, you have to be able to see beyond just blind allegiance to a person or a party and actually take things at face value and look at situations on a case-by-case basis and say, this was good, this was not good. That's where we win the argument, when it's not just blindly following, but we actually are consistent. Because when there's a lack of consistency, that's when people start calling out hypocrisy. And, and that's, quite frankly, what it becomes. Oh, one of my pictures fell down. That's weird. I just looked, happened to look over there, and my family's not looking back. That's very sad. Um, I'll find it later. Anyway, so uh, Trump has been traveling abroad, I am sure. I am sure if you watch or read any kind of news, you have not missed that. But Trump has been going from place to place, hither and thither, taking the message of America first to the world which I would argue is a message the world has not been used to hearing for the last um, about 10 years. Now, we're not going to get into the ramifications of America first and that mentality so much today and whether or not that's that's um, something that you want to be affiliated with or don't want to be affiliated with or if it's somehow right or wrong in and of itself, the idea of, of this America first thing. I, I have I have an opinion on it, Um but I, 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 that's not what I want to talk about today. You know, I, there's a lot of debate over whether that's a Christian message or whether it's not really biblical or if it's a neocon message or anything like that. I, we're not going to have that discussion today, all right? Because I want to focus more on one aspect of Trump's trip abroad in particular. 
But before I do, I will just say this about the whole America First thing. Donald Trump is the president of the United States. If you know me at all, you understand that I have never been his strongest proponent. I think that since taking office, he has done a remarkable job in accomplishing things that he said he would accomplish. And if you compare his record of things that they promise they will do and things that they actually do when they get into office, you will see that he has done an incredible job of keeping promises that he made, especially in comparison with past presidents on both sides of the aisle. That's just a fact. Um, now, when we talk about his personal life, particularly his personal life preceding the presidency, whole other issue. Um, but for right now, he is the president of the United States. His responsibility is to the people of the United States. His boss is we, the people. And his job is to put our interests, American interests, above all others, no matter what. Now, are there diplomatic ways to do things? Sure, of course. Can we help other nations in need? Yes, definitely. We do all the time. But technically, technically, the president is not required to be diplomatic, nor is he under any obligation whatsoever to help any other country with anything. Now, it sounds harsh, and it sounds like poor politics, and yeah, in, in a lot of ways it is both harsh and poor politics, but nevertheless, America first, if you will, is the president's job. And I, I believe in diplomacy, I believe in, 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 in good public relations, but that's not what the president is elected to do. The president is not elected to maintain a good uh, PR image. Now, we can have the conversation that being diplomatic helps us maintain good relationships on the world stage, and that's a good thing, and so on. We can do that. Bottom line, though, of what I'm saying in this this whole thing about, well, he's just, he's just it's all about America, and he's not taking into consideration other countries' thoughts or feelings. Well, he he doesn't have to. He's not their president. He's our president. And he's put forward that message of, hey, I'm going to put my country first, and whatever's best for us, that's what we're going to do. He's taken that agenda over and over and over again to the leaders of Europe. And it hasn't <laughs> exactly gone over... Um, I don't know what what do you say when it goes over when it doesn't go over like it goes over like a lead balloon but if you were doing the opposite of that it hasn't gone over like what like what would be a good blue like a hot air balloon I don't know but perhaps nowhere was this point driven home more clearly than when Trump was at NATO in my mind looking at Trump's visit to NATO there were two big things that happened with Trump at NATO. One, I would say not so good, and the other one, very good. Uh, objectivity, guys, that's what we're going for here. Not, this is my person, and therefore I blindly follow them, or not, I didn't like this person, and so therefore I will never, ever support anything they do, no matter how good it might be for me or my country. All right, we got to fall somewhere, somewhere in the middle and be objective. So, um, first off, first off, the not good. All right, and then we'll move to the good. At NATO, uh, President Trump failed to affirm at any point in his visit that I can see uh, NATO's Article 5 Defense Pact. 
Now, could that have been because he was about to visit with Vladimir Putin a few days later? Possibly. Was it still a miss? I'd argue that it was. So the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, uh, they have this Article 5 Mutual Defense Pact. And Article 5 essentially states that if you attack one country in NATO, you have attacked every country in NATO, and there will be consequences. And this pact is what lies at the heart of NATO's deterrent power against countries and individuals that are hostile to the West. So, namely, like, say, Russia. So, last Thursday, Trump is at NATO, and... In remarks there, he left the question of our country's uh, commitment to Article 5 open to doubt because he did not confirm it outright. And um, they had this, they had a ceremony that they call a ceremony of remembrance, yeah, excuse me, remembrance and resolve. Trump delivered a speech there and he did not reassert the U.S. commitment to Article 5 and the mutual defense of NATO partners. This is something no U.S. president has ever failed to reaffirm Article 5 when visiting uh, NATO. There's no precedent for this, not during the Korean conflict, Vietnam, Cold War. We have always affirmed Article 5. Literally every single U.S. president has expressed U.S. support for the attack one, attack all mantra uh, since Harry Truman in 1949. So, Before we get much further, though, let me clarify what we're not talking about here. We are not talking about the U.N., all right? I know that sometimes uh, people confuse the U.N. and NATO. They are two distinct and separate groups, all right? So the U.N., completely different. NATO is not the group that regularly blasts Israel and lets countries with horrific human rights violations on their Human Rights Council. All right, that that would be the U.N., Um, and we would be having a totally different conversation if Trump had just visited the U.N., but he went to NATO, Right. NATO is a strategic military defense cooperation. Uh, There's a huge difference between the two. And yet they somehow uh, in many times will, will get confused. Right. So the U.N. Excuse me. The U.N. is an international organization who operates essentially or at least their mission statement and purpose, which they sometimes fail at. But the idea is that they will keep peace uh, between nations, help create international laws and cooperation from country to country. Whereas, excuse me, I'm sorry, I have like hiccups, needing to blow the nose, all kinds of things going on in my head while I'm trying to communicate this. <laughs> it's really exciting. Uh, NATO, on the other hand, is a military and um, a military affiliation and alliance, if you will. Uh, of different countries. It was originally created to counter Soviet and communist power uh, in the East. So both organizations are working for peace and prosperity around the world and for international security, uh, but they're, they're different. All right. So like, and the UN uh, was founded in 1945. It has 198 members. Right, uh, NATO was created in 1949. It's also known as the Atlantic Alliance. has 28 member states, and it's it exists as a system of collective defense. And the entire purpose of NATO was a mutual defense 
of the member states in response to anyone who would attack uh, any one of the countries. All right, so, so to put it succinctly, UN, they were created in 1945 to help keep peace between nations. All right, so that, you, you see that coming about at the end of World War II, essentially. Uh, they, they look to solve economic problems and foster better international relationships between countries and may advise uh, during times of crisis or things like that. NATO formed 1949, as you see uh, communism rising post-World War II, specifically created to counter Soviet and communist power, a smaller group of nations seeking to maintain peace and order. All right? So that's, that's the difference between UN and NATO. NATO is specifically, specifically a military political force, if you will. So when it comes to Article 5 and Trump failing to reaffirm it, you might say, well, what's, what's the big deal? Well, it's kind of because Article 5 is sort of NATO in a nutshell. Right? I, and honestly, I, it's kind of complicated overall, but I think it's still easily explained. Okay, Article 5 mostly is in place to keep Russia at bay, or at least that's what it was intended for at its creation, and that I think is probably a pretty easy explanation of what it's there for today. It's, it's deeper than that, but if you want the simple nutshell version, Article 5 is there so that Russia knows, so that countries like Russia know that if they are aggressive uh, towards, say, Ukraine or Poland or, or pick a li any little country that's in NATO that Russia might feel like invading or harassing, Article 5 is there to say, hey, if you attack them, you've attacked the Mutual Defense Pact, a.k.a. you've attacked the United States, and when you attack the United States or others uh, that are part of the Article 5 Pact, there will be consequences. And some people will say, well, the president wants to be able to look at situations on a case-by-case -case basis rather than just giving a blanket, yes, we support Article 5 and we will come to the defense of anyone who is attacked by those outside of our pact. And I, I get that. The problem with that is it's, it's, it's unnecessary, okay? You can affirm Article 5 and still also look at international situations, say like in a country like the, like the Czech Republic, when incidents have happened there. You can look at those situations still on a case-by-case -case basis should there be some potential conflict with Russia or anything else. But no American president has ever suggested anything like that out loud. Or better said, no American president has ever chosen to remain silent on the issue rather than affirm Article 5. Okay, We already know that Russia has a pattern of aggression. Putin has a pattern of aggression. It is not some civil rights, human rights uh, champion or orchestrator of world peace. Okay, he and they do not need any help or any possible thought that their aggression wouldn't be met with extreme hostility and repercussions. So that's what I think would be the not good moment of Trump at NATO. I, I believe that you could have affirmed Article 5 there and still had the option to look at situations on a case-by-case -case, uh, 
basis. I think that we could have left that door open. I think that precedent says that that would have been a good move for the president, politically speaking. And I, I think that was a miss for him at NATO. Give me one second. I have to take a drink of water. I felt like Marco Rubio right there on TV. Remember when he was doing the, I think it was a post, um, oh, what is it called? You know what it is. The president does it every, State of the Union. The State of the Union address uh, under Obama, I think Marco Rubio gave the uh, the counter on the Republican side following one of Obama's State of the Union addresses. I believe that's when it was, when he was giving his thing and he just had to take a drink of water and then everybody made fun of him. But yeah, I'm telling you, when you're talking, you need a drink of water. You just, you need a drink of water. Anyway, so that's that's what I think was the low moment of Trump at NATO. The high point, the high point for me of Trump at NATO, which interestingly, others would say that this was the lowest point and the whole thing was a disaster, but I disagree. I, I think that there was a high point and a low point. The low point is the one we just went over. The high point was uh, Trump goes into NATO and he just hammered the other countries in this alliance for failing to pay their fair share if you will. Ironic that leftists have a problem with the fair share concept on the world stage. Anyway, uh, basically, again, I could summarize that by saying the U.S. is to NATO what taxpayers are to government programs in the United States. And you, can, you can figure that one out later. And Trump is like, hey, people <laughs> of the world, you use our services. We're a collective group. We should be putting in collectively, you know, on a percentage basis, an equal amount. So instead of us paying for everything, for everyone, how about you guys, how about you guys step it up a little bit? And how about you step it up, like, right now? It was really, he was very strong on this issue when he went into NATO and uh, he said, I have to say, I think it's very sad when Germany makes a massive oil and gas deal with Russia when you're supposed to be guarding against Russia. So we're protecting Germany. We're protecting France. We're protecting all of these countries. And then numerous of the countries go out and make a pipeline deal with Russia where they're paying billions of dollars into the coffers of Russia. So we're supposed to protect you against Russia. But you tell me if that is appropriate when Germany is totally controlled by Russia. This has been going on for decades. This has been brought up by other presidents, but other other presidents never did anything about it. It's very unfair to our country. It's very unfair to our taxpayers. And I think that these countries have to step it up, not over a 10-year period. They have to step it up immediately. Wow. I mean, and, and the president was just blasted for daring to suggest that other countries should perhaps be contributing more to NATO, or that maybe, you know, if the whole point of NATO is that we will defend each other against aggression from the East, particularly from aggression against from Russia, and then you as a member nation go and make a huge deal with that country, but we're still supposed to protect you, and now they have incredible influence over your nation, how, how does this work exactly? Oh, and by the way, you're barely putting anything into the whole NATO pot thing. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was a dressing down 
much needed and much deserved by our by our NATO uh, allies. Not that we don't want to cooperate with them, not that we shouldn't be cooperating with them. That's not what I'm saying. But this is something that has need to be said, needed to be said to NATO countries for a very long time. Here's why. The United States defense spending for NATO is more than double. Or, I'm sorry, just in general, is more than double what every other NATO member spends on their personal defense combined. And U.S. defense spending accounts for 72% of NATO's entire defense budget. That is crazy. So, here's how it works. Uh, uh, military spending at an estimated uh, share of GDP in 2017. All right, so for, for a percent of GDP, the United spent, States would spend 3.6%. The next highest nation was the UK at 2.1%, then France at 1.8% of GDP. Then you hit Germany and every other country. So you've got, you've got Germany, Italy, Canada, Turkey, Spain, Poland, the Netherlands, Norway, Greece, Belgium, Denmark, Romania, Portugal, the Czech Republic, Hungary, the Slavic Republic, Bulgaria, Croatia, Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia, Slovenia, Luxembourg, and Albania, all at 1% of GDP or less. A country like Luxembourg is paying, putting in uh, less than half of a percent of GDP. And Trump's like, look, we're not saying you have to match us dollar for dollar in this defense spending thing, but you should at least, we should be spending percentage-wise the same amount. So he's saying, hey, bring your percents up to match or at least get a lot closer to matching what we're spending. And guess what? It worked. The United States and our European allies at NATO, because of Trump's visit, agreed to and signed a declaration stating that these other countries are, quote, committed to improving the balance of sharing the costs and responsibilities of alliance membership. So you may not like the style, you may disagree with the approach, but the president of the United States, Donald Trump, just accomplished something that no other president has ever been able to do, and that is to get NATO, our, our allies in NATO to agree to increase their spending percentage-wise in a significant means right now, not 10 years from now. And it's rare that I agree with the New York Times. It's rare that the president agrees with the New York Times. But the New York Times wrote a piece, quote, Trump got from NATO everything Obama ever asked for. They said, now that the smoke has cleared from the NATO summit meeting, the most tangible result is apparent. President Trump advanced President Barack Obama's initiative to keep the allies on track to shoulder a more equitable share of NATO's costs. Mr. Trump even signed on to a tough statement directed at Russia. For once, he saw eye to eye with his predecessor. Now, I, <laughs> because it's the New York Times, they're going to make Trump's accomplishment all about Obama. Obama may have wanted to do this, but he accomplished zero. Trump goes in one meeting does exactly, I, I mean, if this isn't the art of the deal on display, 
I don't know what is. The New York Times continued, uh, as Mr. Trump and Mr. Obama before him, I love how they just keep throwing Obama in there, uh, have argued, Europe can do more to help itself. The Allies rely too heavily on the Americans to transport troops and equipment, for instance, and the fact that France ran out of bombs during the 2011 Libya operation demonstrated a crucial weakness. There may be other shortcomings, too. NATO is not transparent with its data. Greater spending by American allies might mean the United States could lower its own spending and potentially bring thousands of troops home. Mr. Trump didn't make that argument, but he has often talked about withdrawing forces and closing bases, whether in Germany or Syria or someone else. I'm sorry, somewhere else, not someone else. So, even the New York Times is saying, well, he, he did it. We, we can't debate the fact that he did it. The president responded uh, following this agreement by saying, um, uh, Yesterday I let them know, them being NATO countries, that I was extremely unhappy with what was happening and they have substantially upped their commitment. I told people that I'd be very unhappy if they did not up their commitments very substantially and tremendous progress has been made. Everyone's agreed to substantially up their commitment. They're going to up it at levels that they never thought of before. The commitments were made. The commitment was at 2% and ultimately that'll be going up quite a bit higher than that. Everyone in the room thanked me. There was a great collegial spirit in that room. Very unified. Very strong. No problems. NATO is much stronger now than it was two days ago. So there you have it. Trump takes NATO by storm. I, I think we, there was a low point, and I think there was a high point. Uh, but the high, I think, was a higher high than the low was a low low. <laughs> so to summarize, let's let's put a nice little bow on this whole NATO thing, shall we? I would suggest that it was unwise, the low point, was that it was unwise for the president to fail to affirm Article 5. I think that that potentially emboldens an already overly bold Putin. But, I think it is the art of the deal on display to get something done at NATO that previous presidents have utterly failed to accomplish and getting other NATO countries to begin contributing more to the organization and its efforts. And I believe that could be the first step to bringing troops home uh, that would no longer be needed if these other member nations would in fact up what they are putting in and paying out for NATO and its services. So I, I know some people are saying that that was not a good move by Trump. I don't see how it's not a good move. You might not like his method. You may not like how he came down hard. But it worked. And sometimes you need a strong leader who's going to stand up and say, no, we're not, we're not doing this anymore. We're not footing the bill. Everybody's going to put something in here if, we're, if this is going to work. And he did. And it worked. And I think it was a moment of brilliance on the world stage for him, quite frankly, in what he was able to accomplish. The other, not so much. I, I think especially after everyone concedes your point and ups their commitment, you've got to affirm Article 5. Like, that's just, that's, that just blows my mind that he missed that one. <sighs> so then Trump went on from NATO and 
as I'm sure you also heard and probably are still seeing, uh, Trump met with Putin and either it was the most brilliant political display you've ever seen or it was high treason, depending on whom you follow on social media and which news network you watch. Now, (laughs) this is another one where you just... um, Consistency, people. Consistency. I... The main problem that people are having with the whole Trump-Putin thing is, and I, and I talked about this on Tuesday, is that when Trump and Putin did their joint press conference, Trump essentially said that, uh, the, and this isn't a direct quote, that's why I'm saying it's essentially what he said, that Russia was not involved in the 2016 um, electoral process, that's not an issue, and basically stop asking that question because that didn't happen. Putin said it didn't happen, and I agree with Putin, it didn't happen. Again, if you know me at all, you know I'm not like this great defender of the president, I, but I do try to be objective on these things, and when I take a step back and I look at that, what I hear from the president is frustration. I, I don't think that it was or Ezver is, um, a good idea to take the side of a world leader in a place like Russia who is a thug and in many ways a, a terrorist. I don't, I don't think that you take his side over the side of your own country's intelligence agencies and uh, in, this, in this fashion. I don't think that's a good idea, but I also don't think that's what he was doing in that moment. I think in that moment... It was a it was a response of frustration because I believe what he is re- re- was responding to in that situation was not the issue of whether uh, and I know people are going to disagree with me on this, but I don't think that he was speaking specifically to if Russia had tampered at all or attempted to tamper at all with the election or if they had been involved on on Facebook campaigns or Twitter campaigns or whatever else. I think that when the president hears was Russia involved, I think that that is automatically going to the whole collusion issue and everyone. I I think when he hears that, it it irks up this, they don't think I could have won unless this man made me the winner. And they think that I aligned myself with this man and had him working behind the scenes for me so that I would win. So I think that when Trump was responding to that question, I think he was responding to it through the filter of Russian collusion, where there's this this belief that Trump and Russia uh, and Putin were in cahoots to make sure that Hillary Clinton didn't get elected and that he did get elected, and that if it weren't for Russia, there's no possible way that he could have become president. And I, I think that's something that leftists have clung to because they cannot accept the fact that it's even remotely possible that American citizens would have chosen Trump over Hillary on their own. They fail to recognize that Hillary was a, and still is, a absolutely terrible candidate. And that if they had run anyone else, the other individual probably would have won. But they can't wrap their heads around that, so they cling to this issue of collusion. Now, the the accusations of collusion are, in fact, different than what has actually been found by our intelligence agencies. We know for a fact that Russia did attempt to at least meddle 
in the electoral process. And after Trump uh, post the whole Putin press conference a few days later, uh, he said that 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 was not what he had intended. Um, and of course, uh, Russia had attempted to meddle or, or something along those lines. But he he reversed what he had said, uh, basically. And uh, and so I I don't think that that issue is as big as people are making it out to be. And it drives me absolutely crazy when people share the the memes and whatever else where they have past presidents uh, <laughs> standing alongside of Putin and they're like, oh, are they traitors too? Okay, here's the thing, guys. All right, conservatives, listen to me. All right, listen to me. You cannot post a picture of Obama standing next to Putin and then be like, well, see, they did it first, so that is fine. That's not how it works. If you had a problem with Obama's relationships with Putin, with Hillary's relationships with Putin, with the whole Russian reset thing, if you had problems with those, you kind of need to have problems with this. All right. You have to be able, uh, again, you have to be able to take a step back and be objective about this. You can't just cling blindly to, to your man or your party and no matter what he or they do, it is never wrong because it's your team. That is... That is the height of hypocrisy, and that, I believe, is why we see so many young people just completely disillusioned with our whole political system and our political process, and why a minuscule portion of our population even actually takes the time to vote, because they just don't think it matters, and they don't think that it's, that it's something that is honest, or that it's something they want to be affiliated with in any way. Not just because of the politicians... But because of we people who do vote, who do have strong political opinions, that shift, that, that, that move all around and flip-flop depending on whether it's our guy that did it or their guy that did it. And if our guy does it, it's awesome and wonderful. But if their guy does it, it's horrible and evil. But it's exactly the same thing. Now, I understand it's not always in every instance. But I, I'm, speaking in, I'm speaking with broad brush strokes here, okay? Stop with the memes. Stop with the memes. If it wasn't okay with you then... It can't be okay with you now. If it was, if you didn't have a problem with any of that stuff, then cool. Or if you want to explain the differences, because there are differences between when, say, uh, uh, Obama and Se then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, when they met with Putin and what they said about Putin, if you want to look at the differences there versus what Trump has done. Or like, for example, I, I saw a great thread on Twitter. Representative Steve Scalise, he's the one that had been, had been shot uh, at the congressional baseball game, I think it was about a year ago now, he put a thread on Twitter of uh, outlining various ways, like how we got to where we are now with Putin, and 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 he put video clips and different things of of how this has this whole Russia drama has unfolded in the last decade, and it was just it was he was the first one that I've seen that I think in a fair and balanced manner put forward, this is what happened. This is what Democrats used to say about Russia. Uh, not sure why they changed their mind. Uh, here's what Mitt Romney said about Russia. Remember that when he was just butchered for saying that Russia uh, was, our, was our biggest foe. But now all of a sudden Democrats agree with Mitt Romney, it seems like. Um, but then they fail to mention, you know, that, that Trump's, whole argument with NATO and the whole funding issue was that Germany just made a huge deal with Russia. And he said, look, if our whole purpose is to protect against Russia, why are we doing this? So he's, he's calling Russia out 
But he's also, as in the case with Kim Jong-un, saying, hey, we need to have open dialogue. We need to talk to these people. We need to start building some relationships if we ever want anything to change. And so he is, he is, he is, he's going to places and he's making waves. And some people would say, well, you know, this is this this is just like when he met with Kim Jong Un and he praised Kim Jong Un and he he validated the dictator. And now, since he stood alongside Putin, he's he's elevated him on the world stage and he's validating a global thug. I. You know, we can say that, we can have that conversation in some ways. Yeah, you know, when the president stands up next to Kim Jong-un, sure thing. North Korean media is going to take that and be like, look how amazing we are. And when Putin stands next to Trump on the world stage, Russian media is going to take that and say, we are an equal on the United States on the world stage. Yes, that is going to happen. But my question is, if you are an international political affairs expert, how should the president proceed with these countries? How do you open that conversation? How do you create the dialogue? Like on one hand, (laughs) on one hand we have people saying, well, the president needs to be more diplomatic. And then he goes and tries to be diplomatic and you're like, (gasps) how dare he be diplomatic? Like we can't do both things. Like it's got to... uh, I I just don't think that the man can win. And I've reached a point in life where, and I think a lot of people have, where I honestly feel bad for the president. Because no matter what he does, it's the wrong thing. Like, there there is absolutely not one thing that the president can do, no matter what it is, that the mainstream media will ever think is okay. Like, I feel like money could be falling from heaven because of Trump, and not that would crash our economy. That would be good money that we could all use, and it would keep our economy strong. That's because some of you are going to go there. And the media would be like, look how evil the president is. Everyone has more. I just don't. I don't. I, I think I just need to take a break. One, because I'm basically dying of thirst, except not at all. There are actual people dying of thirst, and I'm not one of them. But I'm very thirsty right now, and because I just I don't know I I don't know how else to explain what's been going on, because no I we could keep going we could talk about what Trump has done we could talk about the fact that oh my goodness he stepped in front of the Queen <laughs> tragedy on the world stage no no it's not it's really not the majority of Americans I guarantee you don't even know that the president stepped in front of the queen and most of that majority wouldn't even care right now i do have i i have at least one friend who is a huge fan of the queen i i really don't know why but i'm pretty sure they would have been a tory back in the day huge fan of the queen but it's not it's, if you watch the video i'm sorry when i saw the video I was laughing, and probably that's disrespectful to the Queen, and I mean no disrespect to the Queen, but it just, to me, it was funny. It wasn't like Trump was trying to be disrespectful. So if you didn't see the video, here's what happens. Trump and the Queen uh, come walking out together next to each other. If if you don't notice this from ever seeing pictures or anything, the Queen is a little bit shorter and Trump is kind of a taller man. And uh, generally what happens when you have that kind of a height difference is that one party will take larger steps than the other. So so Trump is... (laughs) I'm sorry, it's... 
still cracks me up. So Trump and the Queen are walking, and uh, and I for some reason. The queen, who was to Trump's right, decides that she wants to be on his left or or maybe thought that he was stepping forward so that she could go around behind him. I don't know what her thought process was, but she steps behind the president to try and go around to his left, apparently, and the president doesn't realize that he's gone behind her. So he's still walking. She's not keeping up or making any progress in navigating to the left. So she's just like lost in the shot behind him. Suddenly he looks, he glances to his right to either comment or I don't know what he was going to do, but he glances and he realizes that she's not there. And you just see this completely perplexed look on his face like, I've lost the queen. (laughs) And it just cracks me up. And I realize that this is some sort of international scandal, apparently, but I just found it so funny, probably because I'm an American and insensitive and all that kind of thing. But so then he, he looks to his left like, oh, she's coming over here. So then he like stutters, doesn't stutter step, but he like he pauses and like thinks she's going to come around that way. Meanwhile, she comes back around to the right and walks back around to the right. And then they and then they continue on together. And there was this whole outrage about how if he was a gentleman, he would have given him his arm. No, you cannot. You don't touch the queen. That is the height of British etiquette. No touching the queen. So he can't give her his arm. And I I don't believe that he was trying to be chauvinistic or anything like that or walk in front of her. I th- It was just an awkward moment. And sometimes in life, awkward moments happen. I do not for one second believe that the President of the United States was in any way attempting to insult the Queen or violate some sort of 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 protocol by walking in front of her or whatever else. But quite frankly, even if he did, this is where people are going to not like me, but he's, she's not his Queen. He does not have to observe any type of protocol when it comes to the queen. Now, I I believe that he should. We talked about this just a little bit ago. There is a certain amount of decorum and decency and, uh, and, um, oh, good grief. What's the word? I can't think of it. I, I can't think of the word that I'm looking for. Um, but I, I, I think it's good to maintain that protocol, a uh, diplomatic. I think it's good to be diplomatic. It's good uh, to maintain good relationships and and be um, even politically correct in some instances, right? Like we don't like politically correctness. Pol- politically correctness? No, that's not a thing. Political correctness in most cases, but there are some times where you just don't need to be bashing your worldview over somebody else's head. That's not always appropriate. It's it's just not, right? And 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 you need to be diplomatic, and you need to be there. There's a way that world leaders should present themselves on the world stage, and I don't think that that's necessarily uh, Trump's forte per se. But I also don't think that he's terrible at it, and I don't think, in the case of the Queen, that he was in any way trying to be disrespectful. I think it was just an awkward moment, and awkward moments happen to people. And quite frankly, if it had been President Obama, I would have said the same thing because if you watch the video. And you're any kind of American millennial specifically. I, I just don't know how you don't just chuckle at this thing. Because the, the look the look on the president's face when he realizes that the queen is neither to his right nor to his left is just priceless to me. And I, I'm waiting. It's got to be. If it's not a gif by now, 
it it I it must be. I I just I found it amusing. I know other people didn't. It's apparently something we're supposed to be outraged about. Because we're supposed to be outraged about all the things. But I just, I wasn't outraged. I didn't find it that outrageous. I really, I really didn't find it outrageous. And I didn't find it outrageous at all. Uh, so I haven't taken a break. We could take a break, but I really don't have a whole lot of time left. So maybe we will just keep, uh, maybe we'll just keep powering through here. But you got to give me like three seconds to get a drink of water because I'm not going to make it if I don't. Okay, so um, we're just going to keep going. <sighs> Keeping in the world of the politics, there is a question that is beginning to flutter through the Democratic Party of is Hillary Clinton planning to run for president again? So Hillary did an interview with The Guardian I believe it was last week, wherein she compared herself to British Prime Minister Winston Churchill. I, I, I have so many thoughts just on that, but we're going to keep going because they would not be kind things that I would be saying. Uh, so, Decca Atikheden was this reporter that interviewed her for The Guardian, and he asked... If Hillary, um, because she's a polarizing figure, if she'd ever thought that perhaps her most effective contribution to healing the country's divisions would be to withdraw from public life. that That's a pretty bold question. I mean, that's a good question. This was Hillary's response. She said, I'm sure they said that about Churchill between the wars, didn't they? I mean, I'm not comparing myself, but I'm just saying people said that. But he was right about Hitler, and a lot of people in England were wrong, and Churchill was a pain. He kept popping up all the time. Uh, um. The reporter continued asking whether she had plans to call it a day not content with that answer, and Clinton said, it feels like a duty, it feels like patriotism, and it feels necessary. I'm not going anywhere. So she said, Churchill keeps popping up. He was right about peop about Hitler. I'm, I'm not sure who she thinks is Hitler on the world stage today that she's right about and no one else is. Uh, she said, the people of England were wrong about him, so she clearly thinks the people of the United States are wrong about her. And she said that uh not be, not withdrawing from public life feels like a duty and it feels necessary and that she's not going anywhere now if you're not going anywhere and there's an election in 2 years what possibly could you be doing hmm potentially gearing up for a run in 2020 5 times in the past month Hillary's super PAC has sent emails lauding her efforts to combat the president. Um, 
on June 18th, she sent her her group sent a message about the family separation issue that said this is a moral and humanitarian crisis. Every one of us who has ever held a child in their arms and every human being with a sense of compassion and decency should be outraged. And she also went on to point out that she had warned about what would happen if Trump was elected president with his immigration policies during her 2016 campaign. Three days later, her group sent another email um, saying that if they raised a million dollars, they would split it among organizations working to change border policy. And the day after the Supreme Court, um, after Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy announced his retirement, she created or released or announced, if you will, a new, uh, a, a new pact called Demand Justice purpose of demand justice is quote to protect reproductive rights voting rights and access to health care by keeping senate democrats united in opposing any conservative trump nominee interesting interesting onward together is uh is one of her super PACs as well it was formed in May 2017, and its homepage says that the group is dedicated to advancing the vision that earned nearly 66 million votes in the last election. Dedicated to advancing the vision that earned 66 million votes in the last election. I don't know about you, but when you put all this together... And then you add to it the fact that Hillary ran essentially a campaign ad on TV in a few markets two weeks ago. An anti-Trump thing. It kind of makes Onward Together, this super PAC, seem like a 2020 uh, campaign slogan slash pack waiting to happen. Now, in my mind, Trump and the GOP would like nothing better and could do no better than a rematch with Hillary Clinton. I, I believe strongly that Trump has secured his base, and not only has he secured his base, but by doing what he promised to do, and by leading in a strong fashion, and by actually creating jobs, uh, I think he has grown his support, and people who voted for him because they had no choice or felt they had no other option. And so the only reason they voted for him was because of Hillary Clinton. I think that you will see a great many of those individuals transform from this is my only option to this is a good option. And so I, I believe that his base, not only was it secured, but it has grown substantially. And the Democrats, in my opinion, need a young, hip, dare I say, even a socialist-leaning candidate uh, to have even a shot at taking Trump out in 2020. Now, that could happen. Two years is an incredible amount of time in the world of politics, and if something catastrophic happens here in the U.S. or on the world stage, things could change drastically. But at this point, that seems very unlikely, and so I, I, I believe that Trump and those of the GOP affiliation could want for nothing better than a rematch with Hillary Clinton. And as far-fetched as that may seem, Hillary doesn't seem to think it's that far-fetched. And she may, she may 
have enough support within the Democratic Party to splinter the vote. You may see the Democrats do in 2020, or, well, whenever their convention is, probably 2019, uh, 2020, whenever the Democrat, I don't know, because I don't follow Democrats' politics that closely, but uh, like how we saw with Republicans, where there was many, many, many solid good candidates in the primary, um, so we had, we had all these people, we had senators, we had people that had been predicting to run for a long time, and we have Trump, the outsider, if you will, and uh, if, if, if he had only had one or two candidates running in opposition to him, I don't believe that he would have gotten enough votes in the primary uh, to win the primary because the, the votes were splintered among everyone else. I think that Hillary could potentially be that figure for the Democrats in their primary if she were to run. I think that there could be quite a few uh, Democrats that would run that Democrats would have a better chance potentially of winning with or that they might like better. But I believe that the votes could be splintered among the others and Hillary could emerge victorious. I, I'm not sure that that will happen. I think that if anyone within the Democratic Party can get to her before she announces, they would probably not want her to run, just knowing that she's not likely to beat Trump. But if she did, I could see her being that kind of a polarizing figure in her party in 2020. Uh, Jim Garrity uh, wrote a piece, and he said, It's not hard to imagine the let's elect Hillary and undo 2016 argument winning over 30 to 40 percent in a Democratic primary while the rest of the crowd beats each other up while fighting among themselves for the remainder. In other words, Hillary Clinton could use a version of the Trump 2016 strategy in the Democratic primary, enjoy total name recognition, dominate the media spotlight in the debates, and just power through the rest of the field by attrition. He said he's not predicting that it will happen, but it could happen. And it's important to note that too. And, and I agree 100% here. He's saying that it could happen. And it's also further important to note that the could happen refers simply to her running and getting the nomination, not to her actually winning the 2020 election. And I agree with him there. I, I don't think Hillary is going to win the 2020 election. Um, I don't even know that she would win the primary, but she could. If she chooses to go that route, I... I don't believe it would be impossible uh, for her. So, so there's that. Could be, could be a rematch. We could see Trump versus Hillary part two. And oh my, what a <laughs> whoo! That would be exciting. That would be very, very exciting. Especially if you happen to be a Republican, because I think you would see an even bigger victory than before does can we turn every state red they're you think <laughs> anyway i'm not gonna go there not gonna go there instead i'm gonna say thank you for listening it's been great to have you with us and i hope that you will join us for church on sunday morning 9 30 or 11 15 are our service times our address is 6501 west lake mead boulevard we're right next to where the new chick-fil-a is coming in did you know that yeah so you're gonna be able to come to church on wednesdays after going to Chick-fil-A, you, you can't go on Sundays because, I don't know if you've heard, but Chick-fil-A isn't actually open on Sundays. So, um, but any other day of the week that you come to church, you can go to Chick-fil-A once it's open. It's not open now. If you go there now, um, I don't know, you might even get arrested because it's like a construction zone. So uh, don't go now to Chick-fil-A. Now where you want to come is to church. All right, you can come here and you can see where the Chick-fil-A is going to be so that in the future, when you come to the Wednesday night service, you can swing by Chick-fil-A uh, beforehand for um, 
some nuggets or you can go after church and get a get a get a what do they call they call them dream cones just get an ice cream cone you know whatever peach milkshake all the good things that that chick-fil-a has and does and no we are not supported in any way by chick-fil-a and this is not a paid advertisement in any sense of the word i just happened to think about it while i was talking and therefore it came out my mouth which is probably not a good way to determine what comes out of your mouth you should always filter things but you know chick-fil-a really doesn't need a filter like they're just awesome so that's that's what i'm saying so come to church, see where the Chick-fil-A is going to be, and uh, <laughs> then you'll know for the future. 6501 West Lake Mead Boulevard, 930 or 1115 Sunday morning, 6 p.m. Sunday night. We would love to have you and your family with us. Camp Liberty will continue this Sunday morning. If you can't be here in person, you can stream us online by visiting our website at experienceliberty.com or go like us on Facebook at Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas and you can catch the live stream of our services there as well. Tomorrow is Fun Friday. I'm going to be giving away some baseball tickets. Who wants to go see the 51s play? If nobody calls in, I'm going to call into myself. Can I do that? Can I have a split personality? I don't know. I guess we'll find out tomorrow. So you don't want to you don't want to miss that tomorrow because you just don't know what will happen. Uh, but I'm going to be giving away a four pack of tickets to the 51s game. Uh, I believe you can pick any game you want except for a fireworks game or a playoff game. This uh, this voucher is good for. So be sure to tune in tomorrow. Get a chance to win those tickets. Thanks again for being with us. Hope you and your family have a great day. And we look forward to seeing you on Sunday. We're going to end with the Collingsworth family and my debt was paid. See you later.